With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby. I'm Mary Kay Cabot. And I'm Scott Patsko. And we are getting ready for Monday night football against the Jets. Of course, make sure you're signed up for Football Insider before we uh, really get going here. Head to cleveland.com slash browns, click on that blue banner. Uh, you get a newsletter every day with uh, something special that you're not going to see on the website or anyplace else. You also get texts from Mary Kay, so make sure you go Check out the details on that. It's a blue banner on the top of cleveland.com slash browns. Okay, so on this Thursday when we're recording this between practice and availability, uh, we're going to do six topics. So I'll start us off, and I guess, I mean, I guess we have to start off with the big news today, and that's that Sam Darnold is out with mono. Uh, He will not play on Monday. That means Trevor Simeon will get the start for the Jets. Uh, This was a game that the Browns should have won even when Sam Darnold was playing. They are the better team, I, I would think. Uh, but now that Sam Darnold's not playing, uh, this is a game that the Browns absolutely can't afford to lose. It, it really does sort of change things for this team. You know what? It, it really does. I mean, they have to win this game now. There's no way that you can go out and lose to Trevor Simeon. I mean, that absolutely can't happen. I don't see it happening. Uh, I, I think that this uh, really sets up nicely for the Browns to go uh. in there, to pull it all together, and to get themselves back on track on Monday Night Football in front of the world. I think this becomes a trap game for the Browns. Um, after seeing what happened this past week, we, we've seen them go into Pittsburgh, what, two years, two years in a row, lose to Landry Jones and the, and the Steelers and in games that everybody figured the, the Browns really had a shot to win while Ben Roethlisberger and Le'Veon Bell and others were standing on the sideline. Um, I don't know. I think I think it's still going to be a struggle. This team has a lot to correct coming out of last week, um, and like Freddie said today, it doesn't matter to him who's playing quarterback. He expects them to get the job done. I'm sure that he's going to make sure his team is focused on the the position, not necessarily the player. Yeah. And you know, the reality is, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. If you commit another 18 penalties, or even if that number comes down to like 12 penalties, you know that that's going to be enough to to lose you this football game with or without Sam Darnold. But uh, the one thing the Jets do have going for them is Trevor Simeon has started before. You know, he was Denver's starting quarterback for a little while. He's been in the league. He's played on Monday night football before. So at least they're not throwing out, uh, you know, just some rookie or or some guy that's never played or or whatever. At least they're they're throwing out a good player, and maybe that's going to be what Freddie Kitchens is saying, that this guy's got experience, he's started, and, and he's won in this league. 
Well, you know, here are some numbers about uh, Trevor Simeon from Rich Cimini uh, from ESPN. He talks about um, among 30 quarterbacks with at least 1,000 action plays since 2016, Trevor Simeon has the league's lowest total QBR, 42.1, per ESPN Stats and Info. Uh, The others are uh, Osweiler, Manning, and Bortles that are, are just ahead of him. Uh, his record as a starter is 13 and 11, so he has won some games, uh, but you know he he is not Sam Darnold. So they're going to have to game plan around this and try to find a way to beat the Browns without Sam Darnold. And on top of that, and maybe this is topic two. Are we ready to go to topic two? Sure, we'll uh, we'll switch the order up. Mary Kay, you give us topic two. Uh, okay, so this relates to it. Le'Veon Bell has a shoulder injury. And he's undergoing an MRI. So they might not only uh, be not with just without Sam Darnold, but without Le'Veon Bell as well. So if these two guys are out, I just think there would be no excuse. I mean, when I think when the Browns went into Pittsburgh and, and beat Landry Jones, they were a horrible, horrible, horrible football team. I mean, they didn't have half the guys that they have right now. Uh, I, I just think that they, they've got to go in there and, and dominate this game. Well, not, you know, you're not going to have Quincy Inunua either. He's, he's out with a neck injury. You know, he didn't do much on, on Sunday, but he's a guy that they count on in that receiving core. Um, it, I mean, it was really Le'Veon Bell on, on Sunday that was doing most of the work. Jamison, Jamison Crowder was working in the slot and put up a very Adam Gase-like slot day of a ton of catches and not very many yards. Uh, but... Yeah, Le'Veon Bell's the guy that, that kind of makes that offense go. They paid him a ton of money, um, and, and if they don't have him, that's a significant step back for an offense that wasn't very good to begin with. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is really almost like a disaster for the, for mm-hmm. the Jets. This is basically a nightmare for them. They They had a bad first game. Now you almost have to wonder, did Sam Darnold have mono during that game? I mean, you don't all, all of a sudden really just come down with <clears throat> mono two days after a football game. Yeah. You know, so you know they blew a 16-0 halftime lead to the Bills. They were up 16-3 in the fourth quarter, and I mean Adam Gase already has uh, their beat writer uh, Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News, <laughs> you know, writing that he needs to grow up. You know, this is things are, are the wheels are coming off in New York. I think what happens now is the Browns the, the winning is important, but how they win is going to be extra important if Darnold and Bell are not playing because if the Browns go in there and struggle and even come away with a win but it's close then you still have all these questions about what the Browns really are you know are they are they faltering under the height that kind of thing it just keeps going for another week so not having Darnold and Bell in there um, certainly help the Browns but I think they have to take advantage of that and really kind of make a statement and say that yeah we're we're, we should crush this team without those two, and, and we, we have to do it. Yep. All right, topic three. Scott? You know, I'm going to write about this. And I, it's something that concerns, um, I'm, I don't know if it concerns me, but it's just something I keep questioning. Who's the backup tackle on this team right now? We saw the worst-case scenario for the offensive line last week. Now, I'd say that's not going to happen again, but if you look at the depth chart, uh, at tackle, they have Kendall Lamb as the backup in brackets because we know that he's going to be out for a while. And then there's nobody behind Chris Hubbard. Uh, they had Justin McCray go in last week for a half, and results weren't great. I think he had four pressures allowed and also had a penalty. Um, odds are he's not getting a ton of reps out here this week because you have Robinson and, and Hubbard getting uh, getting all the first-team stuff. So 
Uh, I'm wondering what their plan is. Freddie was asked about that, and he says, we'll figure it out. Um, but you're basically going into uh, week two with no obvious answer there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very iffy proposition, and I, I think uh, you can rule out a guy like an Austin Corbett who was inactive last week, and <clears throat> he, he said on Monday that, that a part of that was they wanted somebody that could play all three positions. Um, so they, that's one of the reasons that they left him inactive, which, which tells you that they don't view him as a guy that can slide out to tackle. Uh, maybe, maybe you'd have a situation where Joel Batonio slid out to tackle, and you put uh, Wyatt Teller in at guard or, or something like that. They, they'd have to get a little bit creative at that position, but uh, hopefully your, your left tackle won't kick somebody in the head this week and you'll be free and clear of, of that at least. And obviously injuries could happen, but uh, hopefully you get through through Monday night with five guys playing from snap one all the way to snap whatever at the end of the game. Well, they're going to try to bait Greg Robinson this game yeah. for sure uh, to try to get him out of there. It won't be lost on them that they don't have a backup tackle to put in the game. It is an issue. It's definitely an issue. I mean, you usually go into the game with uh, that swing tackle and a backup guard, and they just don't have that guy. So they are thin there. I'm surprised that they have not signed another backup tackle. Uh, but apparently they're they're thinking that they can get through this game without something like that happening again. So we'll see how it goes. Okay, so let's talk about that baiting and, and where that's going to come from. Let's talk about the Jets' defense, of course, led by former Browns uh, defensive coordinator and interim head coach Greg Williams, uh, an old friend. Now, uh, speaking of injuries, C.J. Mosley, we don't know his status yet for Monday. It's a little more optimistic than maybe it might have been earlier in the week, but it's no coincidence that when that team went from 16-3 to losing 17-16, C.J. Mosley was out of the game. He had a pick six on Sunday. Um, he's really the guy, again, paid him a ton of money. He, on, on that side of the ball, he's the guy that kind of makes that defense go. Uh, but Greg Williams is going to be ready uh, to face a Browns team that he knows very well. Yeah, he does know it very well. But once again, you have to have the horses to trot out there to, you know, to dominate or to, to beat a team. And when you look at the injuries that have piled up for the Jets over the past week, and it could end up being a trap-type game the way that Scott described it. Um, but when you look, when you look at C.J. Mosley uh, being out, when you look at uh, Quinn and Williams' mispractice today, uh, Quincy Anunya on IR, Sam Darnold out, Le'Veon Bell shoulder. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that Greg is going to have what he needs to accomplish the goals that he's going to have in this game. Yeah, I think the ex-coach used to play with X-team and now is facing that team can be a little bit over overrated. I mean, look at Hugh Jackson with the Bengals last year. <laughs> yeah. Everybody everybody asked uh, Baker about that I think leading up to that game and he didn't seem too uh too concerned and it turns out he was he was right. Uh it didn't yeah. really help the Bengals much at all. Right. So uh yeah, you know, it all comes down to what players you got and and whether or not they can do the job and We'll find out that Greg Williams has that group. Yeah, it's, it's about the players. And the thing with Greg I'm curious about is that, you know, we know Greg loves to blitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if he's going to dial that back a little bit based on what he saw with the Titans, who seemed to really confuse Baker on, on Sunday. With you know, There were a lot of times they were bringing four guys, and maybe they'd change where that fourth guy came from, but they were dropping a lot of guys back, making Baker you know, hold the ball longer, which didn't help that offensive line. I'm curious how Greg kind of approaches this and, and I think if he does start to blitz I think that plays right into Baker Mayfield's hands so that and that's when it can kind of start to get out of hand a little bit yeah it's just it 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 all depends on how Greg decides 
to approach this whole thing with Baker. Because what we do know about Greg is that he knows Baker Mayfield inside and out. Not only was he the defensive coordinator of this team, he had to take over and be the head coach of this football team. He knows what's on that film. He's been studying that Baker film again. He knows exactly what the Titans did to him last week. He knows what the Chargers did to him last year. So he knows exactly what to do. It's just a matter of whether or not they can execute the game plan. All right, topic five. We're getting back in order here, so we're going back to Scott. Oh, geez. Um, let's talk about <laughs> Baker Mayfield for a minute. Um, you know, he's coming off, what, his third career three-interception game. Um, he kind of had a variety of them. I, you know, I, was, I was, went back and looked at his games last year to see if, if maybe dropping linebackers were an issue because that, that was something that we saw in the very first play from the Titans. Um, kind of threw out balance and almost got it got knocked down by a dropping linebacker. Um, later had one picked off. Uh, I think that was the first one uh, that was picked off by a dropping linebacker. He had the same issue, obviously, against uh, the Ravens. He had one like that against the Texans. Both those were three interception games. Um, so I'm going into this and wondering if uh, if that's an issue. But is, is there concern about Baker Mayfield? Because we haven't really talked about whether or not he's an issue after one week. You know, we talked about the second-year jump, mm-hmm. and everybody kind of expected him to be better. How, how do you come out of that game thinking about Baker Mayfield? I think it's, it's still kind of up in the air about where he's at. Well, I think that he starts pressing. Once he feels like he needs to get back in a game, and he's gotten back in some games, but now he's playing some better defenses. And that was a good defense that he played, and you can't take some of those chances. And I think he starts to press, and then uh, the interceptions start to pile up on him a little bit. And then the other thing about Baker Mayfield, I think, is the fact that I do think it sort of matters that that was the first time that whole offense had played together. I do think that matters. I think they had to work out some kinks. I had to. I think they had to figure some things out. And they used, as you wrote the other day, 11 personnel, three wides, 94% of the time in that game. Mm-hmm. And now, is that the most prudent thing to do when you have some issues on your offensive line? Or do you need to keep an extra tight end in there to block occasionally or mix things up a little more or mix up the tempo a little more throw some no huddle in there uh you know be a little bit more aggressive with your play calling I think you're going to see all of that this week I think they got their feet wet in that game and I think you're going to see an entirely different offense in this game yeah it was uh Warren Sharp that did the the personnel breakdowns in the Browns when you look at at sort of what he did on the league they were kind of the most boring as far as the personnel Mm -hmm. they used you know the Rams have sort of lived in 11 personnel uh, a lot, but even they were mixing it up a little bit. And I believe it was him. It might have been somebody else, so I apologize if that somebody else hears this uh, who mentioned that Baker Mayfield was actually better last year with two tight ends on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you wonder if that adjustment um, gets made. But, you know, I, I think there were moments on Sunday where Baker Mayfield looked like Baker Mayfield. When they went no huddle in the third quarter, you know, those two throws to Jarvis, which yeah. I think is no coincidence that it was to Jarvis Landry, a guy that he knows well and, and has a connection with. The, there were a couple throws to Jarvis that were really good, the one that set up the touchdown to make it 15-13. And you start to wonder, like, okay, so that throw goes to Jarvis in three, four weeks when that throw is going to Odell Beckham. Uh, you know, how does that kind of change how does that kind of change the outlook and, and what we think of Baker Mayfield? I think there's there's still plenty of time before we have to really start questioning w- whether he's going to make a second-year leap or not. That was interesting how often they did have three wide receivers out there when they basically had four receivers that they were using. Um, they had Kadero Hodge on 
uh, active, but he was basically there for special teams. But you had Ratley and Higgins, Beckham and Landry. Um, Landry and Beckham played every snap on offense. Uh, and then, of course, Higgins had the, the issue in the second half. But um, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of running around for, for your top two guys. Usually, you know, Beckham's used to having 100 sna- or 100% of the snaps, but having two guys do that, I'm wondering, you know, by the end of that game, how fresh, how, how able are they to get open, you know? And I just think it was really hard for Baker to get into any kind of a rhythm. There were a couple drop passes, too. But it's really hard to get into a rhythm when you're in first and 20 and, you know, second and 20 and all the different. I, I just think that that uh, really hurt them. They were able to overcome it on their first drive. But that's a tough thing to do every single drive, especially uh, when you are having some uh, protection issues. So mm-hmm. I, I think you'll see a different Baker this game. All right, topic six, we are over to Mary Kay. Odell Beckham Jr. and the watch. Oh, boy. The watch watch. watch. We're on the watch watch. Uh, yeah, watch gate. So um, he, you know, I asked him the other day, are you going to wear the watch again during the game? And he said, yes, it shouldn't be an issue. Uh, the Browns have already been warned that he can't wear it because it's a it's a hard object. So will he try to wear it and, co- you know, cover it with, with something? Will he not wear it at all? Is it going to be an issue? Is it not going to be an issue? It's Monday night football. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's going to come up on Monday night, mm-hmm. you know, as much as he might not want to talk about it or how, you know, it's going to probably come up. We're doing this before we have an open locker room today, and, and uh, you know, at some point in the next couple of days we'll probably get to talk to Odell Beckham Jr. with the group, but, you know, it'll come up then, and on Monday night it's going to be a storyline. We're going to have uh, that announcing team is going to talk about it. Booger McFarland's going to share his opinion on it and whether he should have worn it or not, so uh, this is not something that's going to go away anytime soon, whether anyone wants it to or not. You know, it's an issue that's it's it's so weird. It's no, it doesn't prohibit him from doing what he's supposed to do, but also it's the NFL coming to the team and you know either talking about somebody breaking the rules or at least getting their attention and talking to him about the fact that he probably shouldn't be wearing it. So, so yeah, in that, in that respect, it it matters, and it's just I'm wondering if the watchmaker has contacted Odell and said, hey. Let's have a contract here. We'll give you X amount of dollars if you if you wear this for X amount of plays on Monday Night Football. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, leading up to this, he was not a brand ambassador. I, I talked to the uh, company spokesperson, Laura Hughes. He, he's not required to wear it, although some of their brand ambassadors are. He's mm-hmm. not one of them. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be any kind of an issue or not. Maybe he just won't wear it. Maybe the NFL has gotten to him by now. We will probably be either talking to him. Is he today? Do we have him today? Uh, it'll probably be either today or tomorrow. It, it's, I, you know, we got a list, and I haven't even looked at it yet, to be honest with you. Um, so he was yeah. a maybe on the list. Oh, he's a maybe. Okay, so we will be talking to him one of these days, and we'll have another chance to ask him about it. Um, but, you know, really in the grand scheme of things, and, and, you know, let me just throw this out there from the three of us. In the grand scheme of life... Things were put in a lot of perspective this week when, uh, you know, Chris Smith had his absolutely horrible tragedy. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, on behalf of all of us, you know, we want to send out our our best wishes and our thoughts and our prayers to Chris Smith and the family of Chris Smith and and Patero Cordero, who, um, you know, who was killed early Wednesday morning. It's, It's going to rock this whole entire locker room. And I actually do think it's going to be a factor this week, I, I think that they are are going to pull together and have to have to overcome some adversity. So, uh, I think we can all agree that Chris Smith is one of the the greatest guys in the locker room. 
great for us, and, and we just wish everyone the best in this horrible situation. Yeah, he's, he's one of the best guys in that locker room. I know you talked to him earlier this week. Yeah. Uh, you know, he just they just had a baby girl. I talked yep. to him after the Tampa game, and we talked about that a little bit. Yep. Uh, he missed the Colts game because because of that. So um, just just really sad news for, uh, for a guy that is, like we said, just, just one of the best guys uh, in that locker room and, and one of the true leaders on that team, I think, too. So... Uh, uh, certainly our thoughts are with their families as, as they go through this. Um, we'll change gears here a little bit uh, for one extra point. We're not going to go on record with picks here right now because we're still a long ways from Monday. Uh, but I will ask this question. Um, is this a must win? Uh, I'm such a must win purist. Me too. I'm a must win purist. I like to save it for when you are either. I really like to save it from when you're either going to be eliminated from having a chance to make the playoffs or when you're getting eliminated from the playoffs. I think it's an overused word. I think it's an important game. Of course, they're all important. Uh, so I'm going to say no, it's not a must-win game, even though your chances of making the playoffs are very slim if you don't win uh, one of your first two games. I still can't call it must-win. Yeah, I predicted 13-3 and three for this team, so <laughs> it's definitely a must-win for me. Um, <laughs> You're right. You go 0 2, your your odds drop way down on playoffs. But I think uh, I, I don't think it's a must win. I think it's a must how they win. I think they need to look better. They need to win and they need to look better. So I think it's even more than just just a must win. Is there a difference between like a must win and uh, hey you better win? Yeah. Like it's, are those two different things? I, I feel yeah. like this is one of those games where you can lose this game and still. I know the stats aren't in your favor if you're 0 and 2 to make the playoffs but if you lose this game you know you can still turn things around yeah um but if you're 0-2 and you got to play the Rams on Sunday night football mm. and then you got to play the Ravens who we think are good um you know even that Niners game even if the Niners aren't that good you still got to travel there and play them on a Monday night uh it's, it sort of gets in that situation where things can snowball a little bit if you if you win this game got a little bit of wiggle room a little room for error over the next three four games um, and, and, and that's kind of what you want. Yeah, I mean, if you look, and, and you did take a look at this, Dan, for our, for our Browns <laughs> insiders, uh, just looking at those next four or five games that the Cleveland Browns have, it's a scary schedule. I mean, it's scary. Starting Monday night, that's the first of three night games out of the next four. You've got, two, you know, two of those are on the road. Yeah. Uh, then you've got the Seahawks coming in as the only... Uh, you know, the home one of the home games in that stretch. Then you go on the road and you play the Patriots. <laughs> I mean, come on. Sounds like you're saying it's a must win. <laughs> I think she's leaning that way. Yeah, it's... so Sunday night against the uh, the defending NFC champions and then a road game against the defending AFC North champions. Um, all before you have to play the likes of Seattle and New England. So it, it doesn't get any easier from here. Uh, so that'll do it for us, the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Everybody, thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to everywhere. Uh, Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, all those places. For Scott and Mary Kay, I'm Dan.